This is Business Growth Radio, better known as Solutions on Demand. You are listening to show 5-2, season 5, show 2, on the operating principles of your new company. Uh, you are listening to WNTW 820 AM, 92.7 FM, The Answer, and I'm your host, William Eastman, Program Director for Growth Works Media. And uh, I'd like to welcome you to today's show. I've got some special shout-outs. One is uh, my partner over at Remark, which is one of the consulting firms I work with, uh, Stephen Cohen. He is also the owner and uh, chief executive officer of BCLS Landscaping out of Ashland, Virginia, which is just north of Richmond. For those of you who are listening online, uh, Robert Hutchinson, who looks like he's a prospective business partner. Uh, he runs a successful farming operation in Amelia, Virginia. Uh, Andy Schuick, who is a red, regular contributor to the show. Andy's one of the best process engineers I know and a damn good management consultant uh, at Metamorphosis Management Consulting. And um, I have a couple customers and prospective customers uh, listening today. Um, Greg down in North Carolina and Cindy up in New Jersey. So with that, let's start the day off the way we always start off the Friday with good morning, Tracy. Good morning, Bill. Happy Friday. I yeah, missed you. I have I haven't seen you probably since uh before Christmas. I know. I have been on the road and it's almost impossible to get into the studio. I know. Um, it's I, I can't believe it's probably been about what, three weeks? Three weeks and um I'm gonna probably not be in next Friday. I think I'm gonna be broadcasting from Canada. Okay. Well we will definitely miss you, but um you know, we'll we'll put you on the air, and I'll, I should be here next Friday. Okay. Yep. I, I don't think I'm going to be back. I think this is going to be a long week coming up, just like the one I just had. So, but you know, you know what it's like is that one of the fun parts about what I do is what we discuss on the radio show, uh, which is all about how do you grow your company focused on small businesses. I do it all week, and then Friday I talk about for the most part what I've been doing. And sure. So. Um, but anyway, it was, it was a long trip, a long night and, uh, let's get down to it. So thanks for being on the board and making this show work. Sure thing. And if you get any calls, I will, uh, open up the mic and let you know. Okay. I'm expecting at least one, I believe, but we'll leave it. We'll let that go at that. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Bill. All right. Now, thanks, Tracy. All right. Now, if you're listening to the show, there's a couple ways you can listen to it, obviously, uh, one is broadcast on 8.20 a.m. or 92.7 FM in the greater Richmond area. Um, that's one option. The second option is that you can listen to this online if that works better for you. So let me talk about how to get involved with the show because our show notes are all integrated into what we're doing. So place to start, growthradio.biz. That's growthradio.biz. And if you click that and go there, and for those of you that are driving or you're on the job and you, you're listening to on your mobile device, you can't, you probably can't do this. But if you go to it, you go to the homepage, you'll see right there at the beginning, Solutions on Demand. And our premise here is basically this. You download the information, you listen to the show, you apply the tools. Everything that you need to grow your company based upon the theme of the season is right here. And so if you just scroll down, you can see live stream. You can click it or you can dial in and our phone number is 804-454-1366. That's 804-454-1366. So let's talk a little bit about what we've been doing. And if you're on the website, go to podcast, 
click the podcast button and I'll walk you through it. If not, and you're listening, uh, let's talk about what we've been doing here. Um, every year we establish a theme for the show and then we break that down into business quarters or seasons. Um, last year was around business growth. This year is also around business growth because that's the core of our business. In fact, if you want to know uh, the essence of what we do at GrowthWorks and all the companies that I work with, including Greenmark Consulting Group, is this. The idea is create generational wealth for the owner and their family while creating good jobs in their community. That's it. That's what we're doing, and that's why we're offering consulting advice that I wouldn't say is super expensive, but certainly isn't free if you call me in and you can uh, into your business and you can get that here on the radio uh, by either listening live. And if it's Friday, this is live. If it's Saturday, uh, because we were also on at nine to 10 on Saturdays on uh, WNTW, um, then obviously it's Memorex. And of course we got a whole series of podcasts. So let me take you through last, last year, uh, season one, which was January to uh, March, uh, our emphasis was on revenue production, and the theme was stop leaving money on the table. Uh, season two, which was April to June, was it's not what you make, it's what you keep, and the focus was on containing costs so that you can increase profitability. Season three, which started in July and ran through September, was winning the talent war, uh, which is really difficult right now with uh, more jobs open than people looking for work. Uh, makes it difficult to find good employees, and you you don't want to get into a bidding war. How do you how do you get them without breaking the bank? And then last season, which um, season four, which started in October and ran through the end of the year, was our new book called Owner as Executive. And if you if I can compare last year, the seasons, uh, season one, two, and three were focused on what to do. Season four was more focused on the business owner because. My experience of 25 years working in corporate consulting and now last 15 years working in small businesses is that owners need to think of themselves as executives of companies and not owners. Otherwise, they never wind up being more than glorified technicians or supervisors. And if you can't get out of that mindset, you really can't grow the company because what will happen is, and we call it the founder trap, the company will grow to a certain point and then it can't get any bigger. And here's the good news and bad news. He got that big because of you, and now it can't get any bigger because of you. This season, season five, which is going to run through the end of March, is our second book in the process, and we're going to have several volumes. And the theme is do-it-yourself turnaround. Uh, I've done a number of turnarounds of businesses. Uh, I don't do them anymore simply because they're just too demanding, uh, very difficult to do those remotely. You've got to be on site all the time. And so what I decided was using my, kind of my manual of how do I turn a company around, why don't I just give that to you and let you turn yours around? And in part of that is we got a new service, uh, service called the Alpha Network. And so if you are on the website of growthradio.biz and you go to Let's Talk on the top navigation line, uh, it says join the GrowthWorks Alpha Network. If you join that, then what you can do is you can get involved with this information much more than just listening to a live broadcast or a podcast. And uh, we'll bring you on to our collaborative platform. And then basically we can start working together. Uh, but with that, let's get into today's show. Uh, and again, two ways to, to participate with us. Number one is you dial in at 
804-454-1366. That's 804-454-1366. And given the fact that everything is so cheap and there's no more long distance, there's no reason, no matter where you are, to dial in and um, we can interact. Uh, the best way to do this is get on the website, growthradio.biz, so therefore you have the information. So now, on the website, if you go to podcast um, and you go down to, you'll see show five, two, season five, show two, operating principles for the new company. We're going to cover four things here. These are the, these are the bedrock foundational issues to build a company that will grow and you will not have to demolish the house at some point and rebuild it. And below that, you'll see a hot link to show notes. If you click that, that will take you over to our show notes page and let's get started. Okay. Four operating principles that over the years, I'm not going to say I've developed these. These are things that more that I've witnessed that seem to be present every place that I was working in a company that was being successful. And it doesn't matter whether it's a large company or a small company, because on some issues, there's huge differences. On other issues, there are none. And this is where there's none. So we're going to cover four things here in the show. We're going to talk about accountability. We're going to talk about feedback on results. We're going to talk about peer leadership or peer support. And we're going to be talking about your number one job as CEO, and that is planning. Now, I'm going to use the word CEO because of last season. If you're a business owner and you're running a three or four person operation, you're going, I'm not a CEO. I'm talking to you because you got to stop thinking like that. You are a CEO. The company hasn't grown to the point where perhaps that title fits, but if your head is there, the rest is going to follow. Now, these four operating principles, um, accountability. So what is accountability? And again, you want to get in the conversation. You either want to discuss these details, uh, these topics in greater detail, or you want to provide an example, 804-454-1366. So accountability. Accountability is one of the, the, the cornerstones of any well-run organization. And it's basically nothing more than an obligation. And when people come to work for you, there's obligations that they take on. It's part of the psychological, psychological contract of when you join an organization. And that is basically um, – what are the things that you are required to do in order to work here? <clears throat> but more importantly than working here, or what are the things that you really should be doing so that we can grow this? Because one of the emphasis I'm going to put in this is that we're all in this together. If people are working for you, they need to feel some part of the ownership of the firm. Um, and last season, we talked about doing an ESOP as a possible way of, of getting people involved and raising capital. And I would recommend that if you want, that's show 4.12 uh, on our podcast, listen to that. But you don't have to give ownership to get people to feel ownership. So accountability is basically it. And what is accountability and how does it work? Well, it's, it's nothing more than if people understand what they're going to be held accountable for, it creates a set of expectations of what consequences are in the work environment. And when I say consequences, consequences are, is a neutral term. Um, it could be positive or negative, just depending upon what you have done. But what a lot of companies don't do is they don't even set the expectations of what's uh, part of that position. And therefore, because they don't set the expectations, people make bad choices. If I know what it is and I know what the consequences are, then I can basically make better choices than an employee. Or if I know those things and I'm still not doing it, 
then you can make a pretty good choice as the employer to say, um, you're a great person, uh, but this ain't a fit, and you ought to be someplace else. Now, one of the things that struck me with this, and this is a research study that I first came across in the 1970s, and it's, it was replicated up to about the middle 90s, and Daniel Yanklovich uh, was the guy that did it, and, and the study was called Putting the Work Ethic Back to Work. So it's a, it's a longitudinal study over about 25 years. And he asked employees a very simple question. And by the way, he asked all levels of the organization, okay, uh, this question, not just employees. How hard do you have to work in order to keep your job? And the numbers consistently for over the 25-year span came in someplace between 30 and 40%. In other words, what people were saying, I could come in, work at a third of my capacity, a third of my talent, a third of my ability, a third of my motivation, and I can keep my job. That's where we typically set the standards in the company. We set them too low. Now, a lot of things there. You could say, well, we need to raise the standards. I don't disagree with that. But the point I want you to make is that in some organizations, they're only getting that 30% performance. Whatever it is they got to do to keep their jobs, they're getting that and nothing more. A lot of other companies, however, people work harder than they have to. And so how do I tap into this choice? Because you can neither coerce me nor can you bribe me to work harder than I have to. It is a choice that I'm going to make based upon mostly intrinsic factors, factors internal to me. Now, obviously, if compensation supports that, I'll get more of it. But understand, compensation is not the cause. It is an effect. Okay, and so let's start with this thing of uh, remember if you were in high school and you had chemistry class and you had to balance equations. And I could tell you it drove me crazy. You know, this thing of how do I balance out the equation and how many ions and uh, electrons and all that other stuff. But in business, you've got to get this balance, because if you're going to hold people accountable, what you have to understand is what you're holding them responsible for has to equate to the authority they have to do the job. There is nothing more destructive in an organization than holding people accountable for things they're responsible for and they don't have the power or authority to control it. Beating me up for things that I can't control is not a winning formula. So when I think about accountability, what it really raises is that, okay, accountability means that there are responsibilities that come with my position both responsibilities for the job, to my employees, to my customers, and to the organization. But if I don't have the necessary authority to carry it out, then it's a losing proposition. And so it also affects people's belief systems, is that there's a psychological concept that also came across a number of years ago that's that's really critical. It's called locus control. And what that means is that it's a self-belief of whether or not you're an actor or a reactor to world events to events that are going around you. And so if you believe that you are a victim, then you're just kind of like flotsam on the ocean and wherever you head is where the waves, the winds drive you. What I want to create is locus of control that's internal, that says to people, if I do what I need to do and I do it to the best of my ability, I can control my life and I can control my future. And that is what accountability really gets to is this issue of locus control, but only if I have the authority to actually get that done. Now, how do I implement that? How do I, how, how do I put that into the business? Okay. 
Well, you start off with line of sight to business objectives. What is absolutely critical in any business is that people working there understand that even if there is a position description, fulfilling the obligations of the position description, doing the tasks that are listed is only half the game. If doing that doesn't get the business to where it needs to be over the next quarter or the next year, then it's basically wasted motion. I'm paying somebody to go through the motion of doing their job. And so what that means is that once we say this is where we're taking a company for the year, this is where we're taking the company each quarter because most businesses are seasonal. I do a lot of work in the landscape industry, and obviously that is a very seasonal business. So for this season, what are our business objectives? And what I've got to do as the CEO of this company, the owner, I've got to make sure that I break this down into pieces so I don't care if it, I am the frontline employee, I need to understand how doing my job affects where the business is going and the business's success. If I don't do that, then I got people that are just working and collecting checks, they're trading time for money. The second one is that I need to put some sort of me- measurement skeleton in place. And I thought hard about how to describe this. And, and measurement in a company is kind of like the bones of your body. Okay, People's talent is kind of the muscles Uh, The CEO or the owner in terms of how they're running the business is kind of brain. But the the measurement system is the skeleton, the bones that hold it together. And what I have to do is I have to make sure that we are measuring the right things, not many things, the right things. It's better to measure than not measure, and it's better to measure fewer than more. You can always increase what you measure if you're not getting all the data You don't want to overburden people with this. And what the measurement needs to do is two things. Number one is it needs to give people constant real-time feedback on progress they're making, and then at some end point on the results of that progress. And then the third one is I need some sort of recognition reward system where as people are doing positive or negative things, positive and negative performance, they receive the appropriate consequences. And so what I want to do is I want to make it a good deal to be a good employee. Everybody gravitates in an organization to the law of the good deal. A good friend of mine, uh, one of the best consultants that I've ever worked with, Rick Tate, um, basically formulated this theory of the law of the good deal. And make the good deal doing high-quality work and a lot of it. In most organizations, the good deal is not that, and people gravitate to the good deal. So if you see performance in your organization that you don't like, instead of getting mad, which you should, but get mad at yourself because what you've got to say is, why do people believe that doing that, which does not do anything positive for the company, why is that a good deal to them? And that is your responsibility, not theirs. You've got to change what the good deal is in the organization. Recognition is the informal things that you do for people. Rewards are the tangible. Okay. That's the first one. That is like we're talking about a chair that's got four legs on it or a table with four legs. That's number one. The second one is feedback on results. But before I move on to that, if you've got any questions on accountability or how, what is the power of accountability or how to get it into the organization, Dial us up at 804-454-1366. And
And uh, also, if you're on our Twitter account and you want to send us one, and I've got a couple questions here popping up on my screen, and I'll get to them probably on the other side of the break. Uh, we've got a hard break in about four minutes, maybe three and a half uh, by my clock. And so let me get on this feedback on results. Okay, so basically, accountability, you're looking to create a culture where people are accountable. And by the way, what I didn't cover in accountability is this. Good people love accountability because it's kind of a test that they have about themselves. If you have people who are afraid of accountability and don't like it, you need to reconsider your hiring decision, your hiring criteria and whether or not this person is long for your company. Accountability, good performers like it. It's kind of their test. So once I've kind of created a culture of accountability, then feedback on results is nothing more than constantly delivering information about performance. Now, when you talk about feedback on results, most people go to, well, that means I got to have meetings and I got to counsel people. Yeah, that's true. But if that's all you're doing, that's not going to work very well because then it's all based upon the frequency of how often somebody in charge can talk to somebody who's working for them. And given modern businesses and the way we've leaned up, it's no different in a small business than it is in a large company, is that if the preponderance of their feedback, the majority of their feedback is going to come from a one-on-one -on -one interaction, they're not going to get much. So you have to create an organization to where that feedback is coming in consistently to them so that I can take a look at that. And if, if I see myself as a player, I see myself as having control over my life and I'm getting data that says it's working, then more than likely I'm going to do more of it. And if it's not working, I'm either going to do less of it or I'm going to do something else. And that's one of the things that you're betting on here. Okay. And so you're doing nothing more than setting up what we call in systems theory feedback loops, making sure that as people do something, how quickly can they get feedback on what they did so they can self-correct. And in most organizations, it doesn't work that way. Uh, again, go back to my buddy, Rick Tate. Uh, Rick had a great analogy here that I've never come up with one better, so I haven't tried. And he said, imagine if uh, when the stove is on, you got a young kid and they put their hand on the stove, it burns them, but then it doesn't hurt until two or three minutes later after they put their hand in their pocket. What's the immediate reaction? Don't put your hand in the pocket because the burning sensation came not from the burner, but from your hand in the pocket. And so what we've got to do is we've got to decrease the amount of time between when a behavior happens and when people get feedback on it. That's why in large corporations, they seem to make terrible decisions. And the reason is that the people who make decisions are so far removed from the work that by the time they get the feedback, it's way too late. Okay. So what can you expect if you build a, um, a system that is uh, that um, has timely feedback on on performance on results and i'll do that at the end of the break because i don't want to break this in between but where you are right now this is wntwa 20 am and uh, 92.7 fm the show is business growth radio solutions on demand i'm your host william eastman um, and join the conversation after the break at 804 454 1366 
And we're back. This is Business Growth Radio Solutions on Demand. You are listening to WNTW 820 AM, 92.7 FM. If it's Friday, it's live. If it's Saturday, it's Memorex. Or if you listen on the podcast, um, you can live stream the show. This is William Eastman, your host. I'm managing partner for GrowthWorks Media, and I work with a number of consulting companies in the United States in different verticals, such as landscaping, automotive repair, etc. Today's show is chapter two of the new book we're working on. I didn't talk about that before, uh, but last season we did an interactive book called Owner's Executive. This season we're doing the same thing called Do-It-Yourself Turnaround. And the idea behind the show is simple, or the, I should say the season is simple, and that is you can hire somebody to come in and turn around your company, or you can do it yourself. Um, that's a pretty tall demand because of how difficult it is to, to come to grips with the fact that most of the things that mess up in your company are your own fault. Um, and that goes for me. It goes for my partner, Steve Cohen. And it goes for all my clients, uh, Greg Thompson down in North Carolina, um, Robert Hutchinson and Amelia. Uh, doesn't matter. Andy Schulich at Metamorphosis over in uh, Bonaire does not matter. We are the reason our companies are successful and we are the reasons why they're not growing. And so this season is a, this season is about how do you do it yourself? And I'm, last week we talked about kind of an overview of why all these pieces are important. Uh, today is the four operating principles. I've got to build, I got to understand that these must be built early. And as we go through the rest of the season, we're going to consistently come back to the four principles of accountability, feedback and results, peer leadership, and planning is the CEO's job one. Where we left this thing off was we were talking about feedback on results um, and what you can expect if you can if you get it in place. Join the conversation, 804-454-1366. That's 804-454-1366. Okay, what can you expect in results? Increase in productivity is one. Um, in one study I was just looking at the other day, uh, they were looking at about a 9% increase in productivity from supervisors and managers. And uh, if you, if you, if I did turn around in your company, one of the things that you would have heard from me very early on is the rule of 10%. Uh, in other words, we go after 10% margin increase. How do we do that? How do we go after 10% cost reduction? How do we go after 10% uh, increase in productivity? How do we go for a 10% reduction in waste? And what I would do very early on is challenge people to find 10%. If you can't find 10%, come into my office and we'll sit down and talk about it. And what I expect is that most of these people are pretty good uh, managers, supervisors, or even workers going, hell, I don't need to talk to the boss about that. Uh, I can handle it on my own because 10% is not much to ask. And so 10% increase in managers, supervisors. Um, another study looked at employee productivity and 70% of the employees said that if they got consistent feedback on what they were doing, um, that 70% of them would work harder. Because what, what's happening is for a lot of people, um, it's, you know, it's basically a situation of uh, bowling with a sheet over the lanes and that you roll the ball down the lane. Um, it goes under the sheet. You may hear some noise, you may not, but you have no idea where the ball went other than either if it went in the gutter, you know, and if it hit some pins, you know. But more importantly, when you, if you didn't get a strike, where do you throw the second ball? And with that sheet over the lanes, you don't. So if I pull the sheet off, 
70% of the people know where to throw the ball the next time. But more importantly, maybe the first throw actually will get the strike rather than the spare. A third one is the understanding that negative feedback is not necessarily negative, um, especially if it's system feedback. If it's data coming back in and not being delivered by a person, how can it be negative? Facts are facts. Um, and if facts are pernicious things. Uh, 90% of the people in this particular study said, and I'm talking about but not just employees, but managers, supervisors, that if it's correctly delivered, it will positively impact their performance. Because most people will say, when you come in and say, well, look, you got to improve what you're doing, and here's the things you're doing wrong. And let's say it's a month or two later, they may not say it to you, but what are they thinking? No kidding. And if you had said something two months ago, wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, it improves goal setting and meeting organizational objectives. Uh, I'm going to heartily recommend, and I'm going to, I'm going to hit on this throughout. If you have a quarterly uh, system of setting goals and objectives, you will get a 30% improvement in corporate performance, period, end of story. Uh, we, did a, we did a session years ago with the new division of Bell South when they were breaking away and uh, moving from being a regulated industry to one that was operating on their own, and they had to operate for profit. And we did a yearly business plan. Uh, built a balance scorecard from did a yearly business plan, broke it down into quarters. And instead of, because in the past, it would probably take them to February, March before they finally agreed on everything. And then what you got is you got to meet your goals in nine months. So you either create goals you can't meet or number two is you back off on them and you give away the three months. These guys met their goals and objectives in March, took them five months to make the year. And, of course, the rest of the year was all in the bonus and all the executives were damn happy. Okay. The last thing it does, and I wish I had more time on this one because this is critical. This is one of the things I do as a consultant. But that is I look at the alignment in the organization because you, there's two types of alignment you want to achieve if you're going to have really a tight running operation. Number one is a vertical alignment. And vertical alignment means that, just like we talked about before, line of sight. People understand how their role affects the strategy of the business. Where the owner is trying to take the company, the CEO is trying to take the company, everybody in the company gets that, and they can see how they play a part in it. The second type of alignment you get is horizontal, which means your processes for how you either make what you make or provide the services you provide is aligned with what customers want. If you, did that, if you just did those two things, I guarantee you'd have a better running company. And if you're not profitable today, you would be. And if, you're mar if you are profitable, but you don't like your margins, they will get a whole lot better. Okay, so how do you in implement this? Uh, one is automation. And automation means you want to provide some way of the system providing the feedback rather than depending upon individuals. So, for example, in the landscape industry, one of the software packages that they use is Landscape Management Network. And that provides everybody, if it's used properly, it provides everybody in the organization with information about how they're performing. Uh, in our company, we basically use two things. One is we use a program um, called Streak that works inside of Gmail that tells us how we're working on our accounts and projects. And then we use another package called TimeCamp, how we track our time. So everybody knows how they're spending their time, and they get feedback on that consistently. That's the type of stuff you want to set up. And in, in the world we're living in today, with cloud-based software or software as a service, there is no reason why you can't figure out what fits your business. Number two is you want to create dashboards for the front line and scorecards for supervision and management. Now, a dashboard is nothing more than just think about your car. 
There you are. You got a couple dials in it. You got some lights. It tells you what's going on. Everybody in the company should have a dashboard about what they're doing as part of that automation and that those dashboards roll up. So what the manager is looking at is the combination of dashboards on their scorecard. Uh, balanced scorecard, and if you're not familiar with that concept, Google it or Bing it and take a look at balanced scorecards. Killer way of building your measurement skeleton, okay? All the dashboards need to be updated consistently or continuously. And then the last one, and this is, uh, I have the most fun with this because I think this is probably the lowest tech solution uh, available to you, and it's powerful. Visually manage the business. What does that mean? In every work area, make people post daily performance up on a chart. Now, there's going to be nothing more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, embarrassing might be the word when the trend line on your work is going in the wrong direction. You want to talk about somebody who is going to self-monitor performance? They are not going to put up the fact every day, because they're going to be required to, every day they put up the fact that they're not performing. Um, and it makes it pretty obvious that they're not. Either that or they fudge the numbers, and if they fudge the numbers, you're going to catch them. But I really believe in this idea of visual management of the business. Okay. The third leg of this uh, chair is peer leadership, peer support. And I go back and forth on this, so it's kind of two things together. I got this concept many years ago from uh, somebody I got to meet who at the time was kind of the Peter Drucker of, of the uh, business psychology world, organizational psych, uh, Rensis Lickard. And what Lickard came up with a model of what was the number one factor determining output or performance of work groups. Now, he, he ran an institute for social research in University of Michigan. He's in the manufacturing area, so obviously this data is somewhat biased by the fact that a lot of the uh, uh, subjects of his study reunion, but he found that peer leadership was the absolute determining factor. In other words, how much do the individuals in a work group influence productivity and motivation as opposed to how much does the leader or the organization influence? Okay. So peer leadership is nothing more than leadership that functions sideways. And so, and I want to split the two uh, between leadership and support. So on the leadership side, it's Every work group that develops over time, and hopefully your work groups are turning into teams. I don't use the word team lightly. Team is not something that will happen on its own usually. you got a work group, and it becomes a team if the process is managed. Um, but within every work group, what you'll find is you have people who begin to surface as informal leaders. And they prove to be more powerful than the people that you have appointed to run the group. And one of the reasons for it is they're from the group, so they have a, a, a vast power base that way, personal power. But number two is that in a lot of work areas, the supervisor is seen several times a day for, you know, maybe some total over eight hours, I might see them for an hour. The other seven hours, I'm in this work group, and it's the informal leaders that are influencing what's going on. Now, peer support is a little bit different in that it's how much – do the members of the work group or the organization, because we can look at this from a number from very micro to a small work group, to a department, to a division, to a company, but how much do they support each other? Because let's face it, the training and development of personnel 
is probably better, better handled by peers uh, than it is by trainers, training uh, trainers, or by bosses. And there's a number of reasons for them that I'm not going to get into the psychological issues there. Uh, but basically, being trained by your peers is the, is the best way to go. And also, when things are bad, who do I turn to uh, for an ear? Now, I'm not telling you that if, if you have an HR shop that you don't want them involved in this. Yeah, if it gets serious, you want them involved. If you don't have an HR shop, then maybe they come in and they talk to you. Um, but basically, I want, I want to create a supportive environment where the employees support each other. You know, In sports, it's called next man up. So if somebody goes down with an injury, somebody's got to step in the void and do it. Well-run businesses, well-run organizations, that happens, okay? And so, but never forget that the informal leader in these work groups is far more powerful than the person you put in charge, simply because they're of the group and um, they are there all the time. A lot of contact, a lot of proximity, okay? What results can you expect? Well, you can influence uh, the norms of the groups because that's the other thing that happens in a group. It develops a set of norms, a set of rules. They're informal, but they're as powerful, if not more powerful, than the employee manual. You can have an employee manual that says, here are the rules in the company. I'll guarantee you that the rules of the group, the informal rules, the way that they've decided to work together, the way they've decided to fight, the way they've decided to support each other, um, the rules about who's going to be in charge of what, because many times in, in well-run groups, Groups that are now becoming teams as informal leadership changes based upon the circumstance. In other words, if we're in a situation where it takes technical expertise, then maybe the, the group member of the group who is the smartest on that particular area now becomes the informal leader for some period of time, uh, as opposed to if we're having some issues with management and we need somebody who's going to be a strong voice, we're going to pick a different person because more than likely the, the, the person that is smartest is like, hey, man, I don't want to handle any of that. And so you want to affect the norms of the group by how they're led by supervision, um, how they deal with conflict, and what is the culture of the company? What, what are the values of the company? You know, we talked about this last season in season one, I mean, last year in season one, and we talked about this hard about you got to create a culture because all organizations get a culture. The only question is, as the owner, as the CEO of this business, do you control it? You either get one de facto, in other words, it develops on its own, or you get one on purpose. And I can guarantee you that 99% of the time, de facto cultures are, are not positive. Okay. All right. So how do you implement this? Okay. So assemble work groups carefully. When you, if you have any option about how, who you're going to put working together, you want to make it based on skills and personality. In other words, you want a couple of take charge people. You want a couple of people to go along with the flow. You want people who are, are comfortable giving tasks, and you want people who are comfortable building that support and, and, and basically building on the relationships, okay? And that's a combination of their skills and personality. Like, for example, for myself, I had, I had a, a, an incredible uh, experience when I got my master's degree many years ago. I was one of the first people in an executive MBA program, only it wasn't a master's of business administration. It was a master's of management and organizational development. And I had always been the hard charging guy, no supportive behavior, no, you know, no relationship behavior, get the job done, da, da, da. The military training, I was chief petty officer in the United States Coast Guard at the time. My job, was the, my job was to get the job done, and I did. And then I went to grad school, 
which was pretty intensive. And the feedback I got is basically I sucked when it came to being a group member. And um, shortly after I got my degree, I wound up going to officer candidate school and I totally changed my role in the group in that now instead of being the taskmaster, I was a relationship guy. And I can't tell you how much better it worked for me, how much more comfortable I was with that. And uh, I could I could lead the group when it needed to be led, uh, but I also could do the other things. And it was a powerful lesson to me. And so you need to be careful about how you assemble those groups based upon skills and personalities. You want all the right mix. There's no right answer other than if you got three people in the group, you say, what's missing? What personalities are missing? What skills are missing? And put it together. Next thing you want to do is you want to manage by meetings. Okay. And so what I mean by that is cut out all the meetings that don't matter and only have meetings where you're focused on issues. And I'm going to deal with that in the last one of the four legs of the, uh, of the chair. Um, so, and I, I'm really into cross-functional groups as well. And, and what I mean by that is you bring people in from different groups, you put them together, you make them work together on a special project, or they're in a management meeting, and it gives them a different perspective on the company, but it also enhances their skill sets around peer leadership and peer support. Number three is you want to create peer awards, okay? In other words, let members of these different groups select somebody as their person of the month, person of the quarter, person of the year. Let them handle that recognition. And as long as it's not a joke and it's positive, you're going to do very well because most people are happy getting that type of peer support, that peer award. In fact, some people actually prefer it over organizational rewards. And then finally, and this is one, again, I'm going to hit in the next one, is reward support. One of the things I found very, very productive in the large companies I've worked in because they had a little bit more time to think about this, is that they not only recognize people for performance, but they recognize people who did the most to support the performance of other people. And that's, that's like a big wow. And so if, if somebody said, if you did a poll of 10 people and you asked the question, who did the most over the last month, let's say, if it's a month I'm looking at or a quarter, to help you do your job better? and you get everybody to nominate somebody, my guess is two or three people will pop up consistently across. You want to recognize that because that's the type of peer leadership and the peer support you want in the business. Okay. Now we're finally down to the last one. Planning is job one, whether you're, you see yourself as a business owner. And if you do, I'm going to verbally slap you. You are a CEO, even if the company has, does not, is not big enough to warrant one yet. And that is, Think of it this way. You pay people to perform in the present. In other words, you're paying out, you're paying paychecks to people to handle stuff that's going on day to day. Why is it getting into your office? Okay. And so if you think about it, I pay people to operate in the present. I pay the front line to do the work. I pay the supervisors for managing the processes for how those employees do their work. And I pay managers to deliver results from the, having those process followed. That is what they're paid to do. Now, the question is, what are you paid to do? If you were if you were an employee of this company, let's say you had to report to somebody, what are they paying you for? And so you're being paid on the success of the company. That's where your paycheck is coming from. Um, no matter how big or small it is, no matter how you put together your compensation plan, ultimately you're being paid for the success of the company. So how does it work? Well, I start pushing this stuff down 
and I'm going to free up my calendar to allow some thinking space so that I can look at the near future, which is the next six months, and I can look at the far future, which is the next 12 months. And uh, so what does that mean? Well, in the near future, my job is to identify and solve the strengths and weaknesses of the business. In the far future, looking out over a year, my job is to identify and solve the threats and opportunities that are arising. And so let me take this a little bit further. Um, let me talk about now how to implement this. Um, by the way, if you do this, you can take advantage of this is how you make that accountability work and take advantage of that 30% increase in uh, performance of the organization. Okay. So here's what you do. You create two teams, two teams in the organization, and these are cross-functional teams. And you have one team, which is the future team, which you are on. And as a working member, and then you have a present team, which you may attend, but you are not a working member of that. Okay. And what's the job of the future team? The job of the future team is to support your research and time spent planning around what opportunities are going to present themselves that we better be ready to take advantage of and what threats are coming down the pike that you better uh, handle now and not wait till they get here. Okay. Now the present team's responsibility is to handle the current operational strengths and weaknesses of the business. That's what their job is. And you may want to attend those meetings. You may not want to attend those meetings, but you're not a player in that meeting because the present focus is owned by that group. Now, membership on the team is based upon their role and their personality. Okay. Um, for example, you've got somebody who is the head of operations or somebody who's, who's in fleet management, or somebody who is in the day-to-day -day operations of the business, you put them on the present team. Somebody who is looking to the future, like say somebody in a marketing role, would be on the future team, because that's really what they're getting paid to do. Marketing is about creating an environment for today in the future. So marketing is a future focus where you're trying to create the environment where sales are possible. Um, same thing in terms of roles. Now, the same thing is also true with people in terms of their personal characteristics. And that is, if you've got somebody that's a meat and potato person and they're into the day-to-day, -day, don't talk to me about any of this blue sky stuff, they need to be on the present team because that's where they're at, that's their strength, and that's what, where they get their jollies. Somebody, on the other hand, who's a big blue sky, big picture person, uh, probably should be on the future team. And now, the role of these two teams is basically to work on problems that are across the company or work on opportunities that are across the company. And so what they come together to work on is what are those issues? So therefore when they leave, they're going to go out and they're going to solve them. Okay. Make the membership cross-functional and from several levels. Um, I would have is I would have a mixture of players from different levels. You could have first line supervisors on there. Uh, you could have people who are frontline people on some of these teams. If, you, if they've got the right expertise and they've got the right personality, nothing wrong with putting them in there because the other side of it is more than likely they are informal leaders in their groups. And therefore, instead of you trying to send out a message where people think it's propaganda, it's better if this person come back and go, here's what we're working on and here's where, what's going on in the company. Uh, and it, more than likely, that's going to be positive because what I know from running Rumors Central on a ship is that 
In the absence of information, people make stuff up and it's always negative. Okay, and then make requirements for membership 10% of their work week. In other words, let's say that we meet for 90 minutes. I'm a 90-minute guy on my meetings because I think people go deaf, dumb, and blind after 90 minutes sitting on their butts. And so, but you say to them, somebody says, well, I don't have the time for this. You go, no, you do have the time for this. You're going to not do something else and you're going to delegate it or give it to somebody else. This will force delegation in the organization. But you just say to them, you're going to dedicate four hours a week to this. That means that 90 minutes, we're going to talk. And before we talk, then you've got uh, two and a half hours of that day, of that week. I expect you to prepare something to talk about. And so that is really where we are on that now. In closing, there's no magic sauce for building an organization, a market-dominating firm, because that's where my mind is. I want to own my market. I want to own my niche. However, there are sound principles that you can build a business on, and I can guarantee you that if you build your company on accountability, feedback, peer leadership and support, and planning, you now have the basis for growing an incredible company, and that sets us up for next week's show when we go, okay, so we walk in. What's the triage? The day I show up in your company, if you hired me to do a turnaround, where is my attention? Because that's where we're going to take the show. Uh, the last thing I want to say to you is that if you'd like to get involved in this and more than just listening to a podcast or radio show, you can join my or our Alpha Network. And what is the Alpha Network? It's simply people who, have, who are in an uh, ownership position in a business who say, hey, I'd like to get more of this. How do I do that? And the way you do that is pretty simple. You, uh, you go, uh, if you're on our blog page and you go click and you can kind of book where you're at, um, and you can book a, a meeting with me, or if you go to, um, let's talk on our webpage at growthradio.biz and it's, you'll see, join the growth works alpha network, put your email and address in there, hit me up. Um, and then what I'll do is I'll send you an email back. I'll bring you on our platform called Slack, which we use to collaborate. Um, and if you haven't used Slack, I heartily recommend you use that as a collaboration tool with people in your organization. So with that, uh, I appreciate uh, everybody listening or listening to the podcast. Uh, this is Eastman. Uh, Eastman out. Have a great week. <laughs>